Dartmoor, England's last wilderness, a wild and wondrous region where the Tors and Myers remain haunted by the fables and legends of this mysterious place. Welcome to Myths of the Moor. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 5 of Myths of the Moor. We're back once again behind the microphones. With me, as always, is my dear old dad over there, Mr. David Hawkins. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be back on the show. Excellent. Well, we're going to continue this uh, week into our journey into the weird and wonderful, strange and unusual uh, occurrences up on those moors. And what have you got for us this time? Well, today I thought we'd talk about rock and stone. Mm. Now... Dartmoor is uh, an area of granite that covers nearly 400 square miles. So, as you can imagine, there's a lot of rock and stone <laughs> up there. And almost everything on the moor is either constructed of rock or has some very rocky um, connotations attached to it. Doesn't seem very mysterious, though, for it, me. Well, just wait. <laughs> okay. We've only just started this right. particular episode. Um, 400 square miles of basically granite rock yeah the stump of a huge volcano and of course as the volcano cooled the rock formed different formations depending on how quickly it cooled which is why we have some tours which are great massive lumps of rock others which are very very thin what they call striations or mm, okay. layers almost like uh, laminations um, so there are many different mysterious um, forms of granite, many of which do take on almost human form uh-huh. and have been uh, many different um, explanations have been attributed to why the rocks look the way they do. Okay. Um, shall we start maybe by talking about the tours themselves? Go on, yeah. Um, these are the residual parts of the hardest rock around which the softer material has been eroded away. And so you get piles of hard granite rock. And it's this that forms the characteristic landscape of Dartmoor. Yeah. There are said to be 199 tours. Really? Um, possibly more. Some people have given names to very insignificant little clumps of rock. Right, okay. Um, and there are some tours which have been written about and nobody has ever really identified. The classic one of this is Dream Tour. Okay. Um, and that was given a name, given the name by one of the early Dartmoor writers or early uh, 20th century Dartmoor writers, mm. Beatrice Chase. Okay. She was a strange lady. Um, she was actually called Catherine Parr, which I think is another name from his historical yeah, <laughs> yeah. regions. But... Uh, she wrote as Beatrice Chase. She lived in a little cottage uh, at a place called Venton, okay. um, near Widdicombe in the Moor. And behind her was a tour which she loved, and she, I think, saw first in a dream and said, this is mm. where I must live. Became known as Dream Tour. <sighs> Some say it's Hollow Tour. Right. But it's never really been fully um, yeah. identified. 
Um, so it and it's one of 199 or maybe even more of these very distinct, and everyone is different. For me, your classic tour has to be um, once you get up on the top there. You need to have a beautiful view surrounding you and all sides. Yes, you do. And then in order to get right to the very top of the tour, you need to do a little bit of climbing. For me, that's a classic tour. That is a classic tour. Yeah. Yes, we've we've climbed many of those. Yes, yeah. um, and a great big flat, huge granite rock on the top so you can stand right. and you survey. You can stand and survey or maybe sit and have your lunch. Exactly. But sometimes it's better to come down a little bit to get out of the biting wind. It, well, as we as we found uh, where we were, where were we? We were near the steps oh. there. Um, yeah, I think it was Scary Tour, wasn't it? Just outside Bellstone. <laughs> yeah, where the wind was <laughs> so strong that we could, the coffee was pouring sideways out of the thermos. Yeah, yeah. the water actually went... Oh, of a coffee that went horizontally from the spout yeah. of the flask. Um, nowhere, That's classic no, Nowhere near the cup at all. Um, but, of course, that would blow the mist away so you could see very, True. very clearly. Yeah. Yeah. But we were talking um, last time about the early antiquarians yes. uh, who were mainly um, retired clergymen. Treasure or, hunters. Treasure hunters. Mm. Maybe not even retired clergymen, but of course they were all classical scholars. Had a lot of time on their hands, I think. Yes, they did. And yeah. they'd all read Caesar's De Ballo Gallico. Right. Um, and what did Caesar describe as being the religion of Britain? Druidism. Mm. So everything on Dartmoor was attributed in some way or other to mm. the Druids. And what I'm just trying to remember the little rhyme. It was uh, sermons in stone, rites in the running brooks, and druids in everything. Very and good. The the one who started this was our old friend Polwheel. Ah, uh, yeah, good old Polwheel. Um, the Reverend Polwheel of Polwheel in Cornwall. <laughs> yes. uh, but he did a lot of research on, on Devon subjects as well. Okay. And he was followed by Samuel Rowe, who was another clergyman, the Reverend... Samuel Rowe, writing in 1840. He first brought out the book, which is um, a classic, of course, now, called A Perambulation of Dartmoor. Yes. And that's really what got me started, um, and my interest in Dartmoor, I think. Um, I picked the copy out of the school library mm. when I was at Devonport High and took it home and kept it. <laughs> for many many years oh there's a there's a scoop it's and never returned and well just before i left school <laughs> the school librarian said did you do you still have that uh, <laughs> that copy of, of rose perambulation of dartmoor oh, and it was a beautifully bound edition i had to admit yes i do you I, were rumbled. I was rumbled and i had to return it <laughs> um I've subsequently been able to find an original first edition ah, copy excellent. for myself, which is one of the proudest things on yeah, my shelf. Excellent. Um, but he was convinced that every stone feature on Dartmoor had some kind of druidic reference, mm. ritual significance. Sure. Standing stones, rock basins, stone rows. We'll look at all these in a bit more detail. Yes, yeah. Um, even natural features, for example, Bowerman's Nose, which is a rock pillar. Again, softer rock has been eroded and left this vertical stack oh, okay. of granite. But Roe was convinced that it was a rock idol. Right. Now, we might think of a rock idol, Eric Clapton or something <laughs> like that. But no, you know, in Roe's day, um, this was a druidic idol. Right. These guys would have gone out and, and, and worshipped it. But Bowerman, of course, we know now it comes from the Saxon Varmain, which means 
a big stone. So <laughs> straight to <laughs> just, it. Yeah. Straight to it. Just yeah. a simple descriptive. Um, but there are many legend attached to Bowman's nose, and if we've got time, we'll come back to those okay. a little bit later. Um, of course, another fan of the Druids was um, the vicar of Tavistock, the Reverend Mister Bray, and ah, yes. his wife, the surprisingly named Mrs. Bray. Yes, Mrs. Bray. <laughs> Um, and she wrote about Dartmoor in a series of letters to the poet Robert Southey. Mm. And these became published in true Victorian style in three-volume yeah. format. Yeah. Um, and she was convinced that rock basins, which we find on many of the tours, yes. um, were druid sacrificial basins. So was there, was there evidence or, or even anecdotal evidence... Of druidic practice, absolutely none. Oh, really? No, none whatsoever. There's so all of this was coming much later, when yeah. when when these guys were coming in and looking at the situation and looking for reasoning behind well, it. Well, they'd read their Caesar. Yeah, he said there, there were must druids. Be druids. There were yeah. druids in Britain, in in Britanniae druidis <laughs> erat or something. <laughs> I don't know. My Latin is not very good, but I'm sure he said something like that. Yes. <laughs> And uh, these guys just followed this almost to obsession. Everything had to be druidic. So how does that... So I can understand that there's simple mistakes made, like you said, like Bowman's nose and with these pools, which obviously just occur naturally. But what about the stone circles? Because they are man-made. It's quite clear. And we've seen a number of them. You can see them still standing Mm. now. Absolutely. We'll come to that in a minute. Okay. I just finished talking about Mrs. Bray and and rock basins. I mean, we know that these are formed naturally by the Mm. action of water and a little pebble slowly wears away. Because she believed uh, that they were used for mixing sacrificial blood with Mm. rainwater. Makes sense. Some have little lips at the end where they could pour the water Mm. out. Well, of course... None of this was true. But there's a, a touching story that uh, she and her husband had ridden out from Tavistock one day hoping to find some of these uh, rock basins. And they found a really nice one on the top of Overtor, okay. which is not that far out on the western side of the moor from Tavistock. And Mrs. Bray said she was delighted that her husband had condescended to name it Mrs. Bray's Wash Hand Basin. Ah, that's where that comes from. That's where from. that comes from. Yeah. Excellent. And, of course, there's another one, um, Beltor near Widdicombe. She believed in her druidic mind that Bel was named after Belonos, mm. the Celtic stroke druid yeah. sun god. Interesting. Although you try worshipping the sun on Darwin. Oh, well, yeah, you know, not going to happen. You're not going to see it very often, are you? No, indeed. Um but basically, by the end of the 19th century, people had realised that all these Druid stories were absolute hokum. The rocks were rocks, and the standing stones were probably from the Neolithic or the Bronze Age. Yeah, okay. Yes, they may, as the archaeologists love to say, have had ritual significance <laughs> yes. when they don't actually know what it was. No, but they were um, naturally occurring. They were Well, the rocks were natural, but yeah. they had been erected in specific places. Gotcha. Um, so in addition to the naturally occurring rock idols... Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm making the little quotes mark there. <laughs> doesn't work on the radio. <laughs> doesn't work on the radio. No, and that's why I'm saying I'm doing it. <laughs> um, there were many natural rocks which were maybe 
formed to some extent, usually just as they were found, mm. but they were erected in stone rows, yeah. stone circles, and of course used to make the burial chambers kissed veins. Yes. Let's talk first, though, about standing stones, shall we? Yeah. Okay. Or menhirs. Mm. There are menhirs all over Western Europe. The megalith builders were very, very busy in the Bronze Age and, mm. and, and Neolithic. Um, and, of course, the word main, again, Celtic, just means stone. Here, standing. So you've got Beardown Man, Quintin's Man. They're not men at all. They're just right. stones. Okay. Um, but, of course, on a misty day... Mm. You could easily mistake them for a human being. It's interesting that because that's a linguistic thing that make yeah, that yes, is meant is. that they're called absolutely, you know, man. But it's e it's easy to see over time how someone mishears it once, they also see it and think, well, that looks a bit like a man. Uh, yeah, must be man. Yeah, yeah. and it's so yeah. easily done, isn't it? Well, there is a story about a chap who was um, walking from Plymouth to Barnstable. It's a long old way. It's a long old way. He was a sailor, so he'd obviously got off a ship at Plymouth, thought he'd Better pick up a ship at Barnstable. Why walk over Dartmoor, though? Know, yeah. He could have gone via Holsworthy yeah. or somewhere. But no, he was on them. And he was afraid that he was going to be robbed because the mist had come down and it was very dark. So he saw in the distance what he thought was a fellow traveller. He went up to him and said, Are you an honest man? <laughs> <laughs> threw his arms around it. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Turned out to be a standing stone. <laughs> I bet he felt quite the fool. He did. Not foolish enough that he didn't tell someone well, else that story. Well, no. And the stone to this day is known as the honest man. Oh, that's quite yeah. nice. Yeah. Yeah. But that does demonstrate that everything on Dartmoor is called something. Yes. The tiniest yeah, feature yeah. gets given a name. Mm. Interesting. It is. It's fascinating. Yeah. But we'll move on now, shall we, to Stone Rose. Yes. There is on Dartmoor supposedly the longest prehistoric stone row in the world. Ooh. The Stallmore Row. Oh, yeah. Some of the stones are very small, and they've either sunk into the peat or they've been overgrown with yeah. heather and so on. Um, I think the standard archaeological take on this is that they marked funeral processions. Okay. Because they're usually they usually terminate either in a burial mound or a barrow or a right. cairn of some kind. Um Stallmore, as I say, is the longest, possibly the longest in the world. Um some of course say that no, nothing to do with that. They were associated with serpent worship. Serpent worship? Yeah. Isn't that a kind of um Sort of Egyptian thing, or sort of North African kind of... Egyptian and um, South America, of course. Oh, okay. The Aztecs, I think, worshipped a plumed serpent. Right. Um, but how true that is, there's no documentary evidence whatsoever. Not many snakes, really, I don't think, on dark water well, worship, really. Well, it is said that sometimes the kissed veins can become... Adders up there? Yeah, the adders mm. and, and the more common grass snakes and yeah. the smooth snake, oh, which yeah. is quite an unusual one. But apparently, um, some say that snakes gather at certain times around the old burial chambers, the kiss <laughs> That's weird. And there they magically produce something called the serpent stone. That is weird. And anyone who finds a serpent stone, or serpent's egg, I suppose, yeah. would be blessed with good fortune. 
and success. Mm, weird. It's strange, isn't it? Indiana Jones sort of stuff. Well, very much so, yeah. <laughs> like... Yeah, Serpents of Doom, but none of those horrible little <laughs> scuttling scarab no. things that he used to have. That is weird, isn't it? Yeah, I'd never really have considered snakes to have been a thing. No. Very weird. But there are, of course, kissed veins, and we've spoken yes. about these before. There's about 50 known on the moors. Um, very often they had concentric circles around them. Okay. Some of those circles were actually the supports for a mound, a barrow. Mm. Others, where there is no kiss vein, of course, the, stand, the stone circles were thought to have ritual significance. Um, and these were supposed to offer two-way magical protection. Mm. So the ghost of the buried person couldn't get out. Yeah. We couldn't get in. Is there anything about the kiss vein as to its orientation? Was it? Did they have to be positioned in any certain way? I think they were mostly positioned to face the rising sun. Okay. Not yeah. not okay. the pub. <laughs> no. um, the actual sun. That the comes actual up sun in the east. In the east. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, and part of the reason for the stone circle stop the vampire coming out and doing what <laughs> vampires do, and prevent pilfering of the grave. So it was a two way thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, some again have suggested, oh, they're circular. Oh, the sun is circular. Oh, ergo. Sun worship. Sun worship. But mm. oh, you try worshipping the sun on Dartmoor. Yeah, You're just easy. never going to be able to rely on seeing it at any time. Although that's true belief, isn't it? Well, it is. That's yeah, to a... believe in something utterly implausible. <laughs> like the sun like coming the out sun. on Dartmoor. Like anything. You know, yeah. it's, it's all just mind <sighs> over matter, isn't it? Yeah. But... Most of the kiss veins, there are only 50. And we must remember that in the Bronze Age, Dartmoor was pretty heavily populated. Yeah. There are hundreds and hundreds of hut circles. But I guess you had to be of a certain level of standing before you would be uh, deigned to be given a kiss vein. Just the point I was going to make, yeah. Simon. Yep, you've beaten me to the chase <laughs> once again there. Yep, they were high-status burials. Right. And so, of course, that gave rise to a lot of myth. Um, amongst local people. Oh, there must be buried treasure in these mm. kids' veins. Was, that, was, there any, um, was there any indication of who it was then? I guess because there's nothing generally, if you go to those barrows, there's very little in the way of explanation or anything. Very little has been found by serious archaeology. Mm, so we don't um, know who no. they were. There is, I think, I seem to remember, and I, I haven't got a note of this to hand, but there was a scabbard, a bronze scabbard was found okay. in one of them. But it's become mysterious seriously lost um, but most of the um, if archaeology is the right word was done by antiquarians or just local guys who thought oh, right. I bet there's some gold in those old yes kists let's go out and dig them up because if if you go to if you go to Avebury for example with some of the larger mm. barrows there it's quite a complex structure you know oh yeah there, there's there's a there's corridors with mm. rooms and stuff yeah. and definitely yeah. you know not only people would have been buried but uh, items would yes. have been left down no but sure. these are nothing like the passage graves or long barrows sure um, this would be an individual <laughs> probably oh yeah very very much so yeah um, basically four stones and a capstone yes and that's yeah. it um, but Still enough place to, for, for certainly for them to be buried with important items. Yeah. Whether they were crouched burials or funerary urns, mm. cinerary urns, I don't know. Nothing has ever really been found except one or two Bronze Age funerary pots. They're quite distinctive, though, aren't they? When you're when you're on the moor, it's quite obvious that this has been constructed. Oh, very much you know, so. It's, yes. it's, yeah, it's usually yeah. quite clear. And, and some of them, because of the, the buried treasure myth, have 
They've had the tops pushed open. Some yes, of them, they right. Yeah. Yes, they have. Yeah. yeah, and in some cases split. Yeah, because I, I remember seeing a few where it's well, they haven't been touched for some time, but they've clearly been eased. Oh open. yes, yes, yeah. very much so, because of the hunt for gold. So the, there is one that's called the Crock of Gold, Ooh. and that's near Princetown on Royal Hill. Um, but there's a very interesting story about that. Apparently, the only way you can find buried treasure in a kist vein is if you use a scryer. What? What's a scryer? Mm. Well, a scryer is a kind of medium who can somehow overpower the guardian spirit Ooh. of the gold. Okay? The spirit of the gold? Yeah, the spirit that protects the gold from oh, being okay. stolen. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay, Right, yeah. yeah. Um... And there's a story of a medieval vicar of Widdicombe who went out to the crock of gold thinking he'd become rich. And he did. There was gold there. It's one of the rare stories where they actually find something. Yep. But wait. He took the gold back to his house in Widdicombe, a really good haul of gold. But as soon as he walked through the door, there was a massive explosion. His house was demolished. And buried him and the, uh, the gold. He didn't use a scryer. He didn't use a scryer. He should have known. I know. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. But what a mistake to make. Yeah. You know, a vicar of Whittacombe. Crikey. How mysterious. Although it is interesting up. that there's at least, at least a story of somebody actually finding yes, some treasure yes. at some point. Yeah. But how, to what, how much credence do you put well, in a story... That ends with the bloke's house being mysteriously blown up. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, don't know. Come on. But Mrs. Bray tells an another story from the 1830s when she and her husband were excavating mm -hmm. a kiss vein. They found coils of hair oh. and silver coins, but from a much more recent period. So she attributed this to the kist still being used for black magic purposes. Oh, mm. very interesting. Well, at least there's some physical evidence there. In that case. Well, yes. I could, I could definitely see modern, well, we're talking about 19th century, obviously, but still modern people going to those places just because they're weird and creepy and maybe performing occult mm. you know, oh, rituals and things. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I know, again, it's a very modern thing, but the gathering of um, New Age believers yeah. at Stonehenge, yeah. for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You know. People will always be attracted to places they believe have mm. some kind of yeah, supernatural absolutely. power. Yeah. But let's talk about stone circles, shall we? Yes. I, I know that was something... I'm you, itching you, to get into the stone circles. itching to get into the stone circles. Because for me, if I see a so stone circle, that is a sort of indication of druidic-type activity. But well, maybe certainly, certainly ritual activity. Nobody can prove druidism. Mm. There are two basic types, and, and you as an archaeologist will know this. Mm -hmm. They're either the supporting circle of a barrow, mm -hmm. so basically just a foundation, yeah. or they are freestanding. So the implication is that the ones that are the supporting stones for a, a mound of earth, a barrow, yeah. simply protected the grave. Sure. The freestanding stone circles are thought maybe to have been much more significant from a ritual point of view. Yes. There's only 10 of these on Dartmoor, strangely okay. enough. Not as many as you might think. And they're certainly nothing like as impressive as the ones up in the Orkneys, like okay, Stennis yes, and places yeah. like that. Um, they're usually about 20 to 30 metres in diameter. And they have attracted over time many, many strange stories. 
Some say that at sunrise the stones all turn gently Ooh. to face the rising sun. Mm. Others, and this is not limited to Dartmoor, that they cannot be counted. Yes, there's a famous one not far from, uh, well, it's here, here where I am in the home counties, there's, uh, there's one, I've forgotten the name of it now, you can probably remember. There's one that can't yes. be counted. I've been there myself, I, and it is a weird experience. I think it's the roll rights. The roll rights, yeah, that's yeah. it. Very weird experience. Yes, yeah. yes it is. Um, so there's one near Bellstone called the Nine Maidens, and of course nine <laughs> is a mystic number, three times three. Yes. But how many stones are there in the Nine Maidens? Mm. 17. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, was hoodwinked either that's pretty bad counting yeah. or, you know, there's something else going on there. Weird. Um, they're actually thought to be witches who come to life at every hunter's moon, mm. the full moon of October, and they dance wildly across the moor. And even at noon, in the heat of the day, heat of the day, gosh, that's very rare on Darwin. <laughs> They just alter their positions very, very slightly. Now, that could be due to the heat haze shimmering and it makes it okay, look yeah, as if they yeah, moved. Yeah. But some say that they may be witches who still enact their rituals on the mm. eight Sabbat days of the uh, the pagan year. I'm sure that stuff must be going on. Uh, you know, there's uh, we're aware at least of a few Wiccans that are still practicing, um, and you can imagine them gravitating towards those locations. And the very concept of the stone circle suggests that something is happening inside it. Absolutely, it's either to keep something in, in, or keep, or something, keep something out. out. Absolutely, yeah. yes, or or simply to mark a sacred space yes. of some kind. But there's one unique. Um, set of stone circles on Dartmoor, which is known as the Grey Weathers. Mm. And they are two separate circles, but placed very, very close together, side by side. Okay. And the stones are very uniform in shape. And there's a story told about a young lad who um, went down to the market, I think probably in Morton Hampstead or somewhere like that, and uh, did a deal with another farmer. He said, oh, I've got a lovely flock of sheep grazing up on the moors. Mm. Um take you up there one day and show you them so he took the young lad to the top of a nearby hill yeah so look there they are grazing down on oh they look a healthy <laughs> healthy flock said the young fellow went back to market handed over his money next day rode out to check his flocks you can imagine his surprise when he found they were just two stone circles oh, yeah. that from a distance in the mist looked like grazing sheep. Idiot. What an idiot. <laughs> but from that day to this, they've been known as the grey weathers. Oh, dear. Weather, of course, being a, a type of sheep. What a fool. Yeah, absolutely. But there's another another stone circle called Score Hill, or it's at Score Hill, which is um, on the moors above Gidley. Mm-hmm. This is one of the most impressive circles on the moor. One of the stones is more than two metres high. Wow. But it does have a very, very eerie feeling about it. And some have said, oh, I can't ride my horse through it. I don't really like okay. walking through it. Yeah. Um, and there's good reason for this. Apparently the circles are, or the stones, are the bodies of fallen women mm. who have been turned to stone for their... Immoral ways. Oh, I see. And apparently what used to happen was that a woman would go up to the circle if she'd been condemned by the local parish or whatever, right. kneel in front of a stone and pray for forgiveness. 
if she was found guilty, the stone would fall over on her and kill her. <laughs> and it said that of the stones of Score Hill Circle, there are seven that have a female skeleton underneath them. Oh, that are now flat. That are now flat, oh. yes. <laughs> Very good. Others say the circle is the home of a giant who sallies forth at night and eats sheep. Oh, this, uh, this is our first giant reference, mm. I think. Well, there are various um, features on Dartmoor um, with the name giant in okay. them. Um, for example, the Giant's Basin uh, yes. is part of yeah, the yeah. Uh, Drizzlecombe antiquities, I think. Mm, and I, I think we'll come back to that. Mm. Um, oh, yes, this is another one that uh, is worth mentioning, the Stallmore Circle. It's the end of the stone road that we spoke about before, possibly the longest in the world. Yes, okay. Um, and it's called The Dancers, or Kiss in the Ring. Oh, and nice. apparently a group of local maidens and young men were happily dancing on the Sabbath day, which, of course, was greatly frowned upon in those days. <laughs> and they were turned to stone for oh. their sins. And the long, it was a miserable old time. I know. The long stone row is supposed to represent all the people who were escaping from, <laughs> from this fate, but not, in, not quickly not enough. Fast enough. They were also themselves oh, I like that one. That's to good. stone. It's a good one, isn't yeah, it? that's good. Yep. Um, now, a lot of Neolithic monuments are regarded or, or are referred to as cromlechs. Yes. Okay? Yeah. Um, again, they're the basis of a burial chamber, which would originally have had soil heaped over it. Sure. Three big stones sticking up, great big capstone on the top. Mm -hmm. There is only one such on Dartmoor, and that's called Spinster's Rock. And it's just off the road um, to Morton Hampstead. Okay. Um, it's actually on private land, so there's always a, a sort of caveat about this. Don't wander <laughs> into the field because the bloke's not very happy right, about it. Right, yeah. Okay. Um, and it's not far from Drew's Tainton. Um, apparently it was constructed one morning by three spinsters before breakfast. <laughs> it's good going. Now, this this is when the word spinster didn't mean an unmarried woman. It oh. meant somebody who span oh, thread or okay. yarn. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, the capstone apparently weighs 16 tonnes. So that's pretty good work. Before for, breakfast. For three women before breakfast. Very good. Let's get that up there. Yeah, impressive and Then stuff. we'll go off and do a bit of spinning. Yeah. Yep. Crikey. But you, you see, the, big breakfast, the number three again, the three spinsters. The fates who spin the wheel of destiny. Mm. Mystical characters. Absolutely. Let's talk again about our friends, the Brays, shall okay, we? Okay. Yeah, Mr. Yeah, and Mrs. Yeah. Bray. Yeah. Uh, although they believed in Druidism, mm. they were also very, very cultured people, as most clergymen then were. Sure. You know, they, they studied the classics um, and they felt that the ordinary people should also be um, yes. given advantage of their classical learning. So he came up with a brilliant idea. Why don't we find this really obscure um, valley of the River Kausik, which is somewhere that you'd never go mm, to yeah. um, for cultural um, no, sure. information, really. But I think it was on land that he owned, so he felt he could do what he liked. Uh, okay. um, and he decided to inscribe 
helpful and cultural inscriptions on many of the rocks. Oh, some of them weird. are still there. I have actually seen some, but over time they've become <laughs> really weird. sort of war. I know, yeah. Um, so one might be inscribed to Milton, to Shakespeare, another one to Homer, maybe. And he came up with this wonderful little rhyming couplet that's inscribed on one of them. Sweet poesy, fair fancies, child, thy smiles in paradise the wild. Mm. Mm. So he thought by inscribing poetry on these rocks, he would help the locals to uh, to become <laughs> cultured. That is weird, isn't it? It's very weird. But of course, because the nearby hill was called Beardown, mm. he said, no, this must really have been Bard Down, where the Druidic ah, bards would have declaimed their poetry. And so he thought it was a suitable place to, uh, gotcha. to continue to inscribe poetry. Apparently, there's more than 100 of them. Um, but it, over time, they've become um, almost impossible yeah. to read. Very weird. Yeah. I, wonder, I wonder if that was more about him wanting to leave something, you know, some, some physical Possibly. thing of his own. Yeah, it's quite possible. Yeah, it's quite possible. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. Of course, you can't go far on Dartmoor without coming across crosses. No. Stone crosses. And our aptly named friend, Mr. William Crossing, has written a number of books about the stone crosses of Dartmoor. One of them features on our our feature image of our podcast. Yes, it does. And a very mysterious little one it is too. I think it's possibly B-Tor cross, isn't it? Yeah. Um, There's more than 100 altogether on the morph, dating back to... Prehistory, yeah, and uh, they were mostly put up to mark routes across the moor. The most famous one, of course, is the Abbot's Way. So the abbots from Tavistock Abbey could cross the moor to meet up with their colleagues at Buckfast Abbey. Yeah, okay. On the other side, um, one of them is called Seward's Cross or Nun's Cross, and that was put up or certainly adapted for another purpose, that of marking a boundary. So it's marked, although there's a lot of debate about what it's actually marked, (laughs) but um, the consensus is that it's inscribed Bock Bond. Bock Bond. Bond, I.e. the boundary of Buckfastleigh Parish. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Buck Bond Stone. Yes, okay. And, of course, there is a ceremony... um, I'm not sure whether it's still carried out, but the um, certainly up to the end of the 19th century, maybe into the present century, there's a ceremony of beating the bounds so that the young people in the parish would know exactly where their parish boundaries were. Uh, okay. And there's a, a story of um, beating the bounds in the parish of Holne, again on the eastern side of Dartmoor. At each stone, a boy would have his head... <laughs> knocked against the stone, <laughs> and then be given a penny. Oh, it doesn't seem worth it, to be honest. Well, <laughs> a penny was worth a lot more in those days. And if there were 20 stones, I suppose, you know, he, he came home with a couple of bob in and his a, pocket. And a sore head. And a very, very sore head. Yeah. Um, but there there are many, and there are um, a very, very interesting little booklet, which is, is not uh, that easy to find by a chap called Dave Brewer, um, who wrote about the Boundary and marker stones of Dartmoor. Um, Holm Parish, naturally, were marked H. Mm-hmm. And on Riders Hill, there are two of these. One is marked H for Holm. One is marked B for Buckfast Lee. One is called Peter on the Mount. 
The other is called Petra's Boundstone. Petra um, was the 14th century Lord of the Manor and Boundary Commissioner. So the stones, again, were named after him. But there are some very unusual ones. For example, um, there's a set of stones called the Parole Stones. Now, this goes back to the time when Princetown Prison was used um, for prisoners from the Napoleonic Wars. So it was full of French prisoners. And the officers, if they gave a certain surety, were allowed to walk up to a mile from the prison. Oh, right. Freely. Freely, yes. On parole, on their word of honour that they would come back. Okay. (laughs) And that mile was marked by these parole stones. And there's st- still Ooh, some, um, still some exist um, on the moor that's around. A level Princeton of uh, <laughs> that's yeah. a level of freedom that you're not sure they would get. Well, that's way. right. Um, other stones that have uh, created a lot of interest, particularly amongst the druid fanatics, yeah. are of course Logan stones. Mm. Logan stones are stones which rock from uh, the old English okay. word to log, which means right. to move. Um, there used to be a wonderful one um, on Ripon Tor, which was has featured in a lot of books on Dartmoor. Um, apparently, um, nobody really knows why. In 1975, it was mysteriously blown up. Oh. So it doesn't exist anymore. But in its day, it was a very, very finely balanced stone. Now, needless to say, the Druid people thought they were stones of power. Mm. And they were used to test people's presumably belief. Okay. So yeah. if you could rock the stone with one hand, you were okay. It's like Legit. the sword in the stone. Yes. You know? yeah, yeah. So probably if they didn't want some guy to be, to be they would set it they, up. They jam it up with yeah, something okay. else so it, yeah. it wouldn't go. Um, Damn druids. Paul Wheel had another explanation. He called it the Nutcrackers, and he said, "Oh, it's where local <laughs> local people resort to it to crack their nuts." There's a bit of a trek to go yeah, and an crack your nuts. Yeah, an enormous trek to go. At, oh, this huge <laughs> stone, you know, ten tons of stone. Um, no. So when they could just hit their nut with a small stone at home, yes, why bother? Madness. So absolute madness. But as I say, it's mysteriously blown up in 1975, <laughs> so it doesn't exist. Hmm. But there are many others. There's one um, with an interesting story attached to it on Hangingstone Hill. Ooh, another Ooh, mysterious name. Goodness. And apparently there was um, um, a gibbet on Hangingstone Hill as well as a Loganstone. Okay. And during the Duchy Drift, now that's a phrase that might need explanation. Yes. It's when, I think it only happens once or twice a year, all the ponies on Dartmoor are driven into pounds and counted oh, and checked okay. over for health and everything yeah. and that's known as the duchy drift mm. now apparently um the normal practice was that the youngest farmhand um involved in the drift would be hung by his neck from the gibbet on Hangingstone oh. hill with his feet just touching the ground um and apparently they came back for him next day and there's an interesting, get, yeah. an interesting footnote to that story that says, no one ever died from this. <laughs> it sounds pretty horrible, though. It's weird, isn't it? Why yeah. do people do those I sorts of things? It's, it's all very, very odd and mysterious. Yeah. Um, what shall we talk about next? Oh, yes. Tolman's. What's a Tolman? 
A tolman is basically a stone with a hole in it. Ah, yeah, okay. There are quite a few in Cornwall. They're mm. normally called men and toll, yeah, i.e. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, stone with the hole. Um, and there are examples on many of the tours, yard tour, hawk's tour, bag tour, yeah. and many others. And very often these are simply where softer rocks have worn away. Right. So okay. you've got your main rock pile at the top of the tour and a gap that you can sight you can sight okay, through. Yeah. On staple tour, there's a rock balanced by two others. Borlace, another of our mm-hmm. friendly eighteenth century, early nineteenth century writers, reckoned that if you crept under it, you achieved holiness. Oh. Mrs. Bray did she try and crawl under it? Ah, uh, no, she didn't. <laughs> but she, well, because she would have regarded herself as a very moral person, so right, she wouldn't she need, wouldn't need to, to. But she said, no, it was a moral touchstone uh, for the Druids. Okay. The accused would be forced to crawl through. If the stone fell on him, yeah. he was guilty. If not, he was fine. Mm. But as that hole is still there, it no suggests one was ever it never fell on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But oh, there weird. is one genuine Tolman on the River Teen near Batworthy, and that's a massive rock in the riverbed with a hole through it. Perfectly natural. The stone, oh, okay. a pebble or something, has slowly eroded a hole yeah, all the way through. Yeah, yeah. But it's said that if you crawl head first through this stone... You can cure arthritis <laughs> if, if you happen it's to have it. very specific. Yeah. Yeah, okay, and, good. And in, in recent times, there have been a lot of writers who've started to reassert the spiritual significance okay. of stones on Darwin. Yeah, yeah. But let's have another look at, um, if we've got time. Yeah, you've got five minutes um, left. Okay, five minutes. Should yeah. we talk about inscribed stones again? We spoke about Mr. Bray yes. and his inscribed stones in the Cowsick Valley. Yeah. Um, there's another set um, on Buckland Beacon in southeast Dartmoor where somebody went up and inscribed the Ten Commandments. Okay. And they're on two massive blocks of stone, which you can imagine were very, very similar to the ones that Moses right. originally yes. brought down from wherever that mountain yeah. was that he, he brought them w- down w- from. W- was, this, was this an attempt, like you see in, in a few sort of branches of religion, to legitimise the idea that some of those original stories happened in England? No, no, it wasn't like Blake and did no, those feet in ancient exactly, time yeah. walk upon England's mountains green. No. Um, well, we don't know, do we? No. Because there is a story that Joseph of Arimathea brought the young boy Jesus to England and planted the Glastonbury thorn. Yeah, come on now. Get your Dan Brown. Get your Dan Brown fix. No, on. this goes well, well <laughs> back before that. There's an old Cornish song. Joseph was in the tin trade. Oh, yeah. Because he was <laughs> yes, supposed yeah, yeah, to be trading with the Phoenicians. Yeah. For Dartmoor and Isles of Scilly tin. No. <laughs> no I'm not having and it. And the, Ro- the Romans called the Scillies the Cassiterides, no, the Stone Islands. Not having it. Not having it? No. Okay. Well, there is a more plausible explanation. Okay. Well, slightly more plausible explanation. Right. The Ten Commandment Stones on Buckland Beacon, they do exist. Yeah. They were inscribed at the request of the Lord of the Manor of the time to celebrate the fact that Parliament had rejected the 1928 revision to the Book of Common Prayer. Niche. Very, very niche. Apparently he was concerned that 
the text of the 1928 edition yeah. would put too much evidence on the sacramental aspect of Holy Communion. Christians are very, very specific about these yeah. things, aren't they? It didn't matter because the book was privately published anyway the following year, <laughs> so everybody could read it. And there's another fascinating mm, thing. Very strange. Um, I don't know whether you've ever seen them um, on the moor, but I used to come across them quite a bit walking on the southwestern moor near Cadover Bridge. Mm. They were just X-shaped lines of stones oh, okay. set in the, the turf of the yeah, moor. okay. And they are vermin traps. Oh. Because apparently on the western side of the moor particularly, rabbit farming was quite a major industry. It's weird. Yeah, there were warrens all over the place. Ditsworthy, Trowelsworthy Warren, okay. Hentor Warren. And obviously vermin yeah. were predators of the semi-domesticated rabbit. Ah. And... The rabbit ears <laughs> would make these X-shaped things that would attract the vermin in. Yeah. And then in the middle was a little stone box with a slate shutter. Oh, and wow. somehow there was a mechanism when they went in to get the little food inside. Yeah. The slate would come down, trap your vermin, whatever it might cool. be, rat or weasel yeah. or whatever. Excellent. It it is amazing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, the things that can be made from Dartmoor yeah, stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to very quickly run through a couple of other strange things. Slotted gateposts, for example. Mm -hmm. Cheese presses. <laughs> Tramway tracks. Oh yeah. Set makers bankers. Oh, set makers bankers. Explain that one a little bit. Just is a funny phrase. Yeah, it is weird, isn't it? Yeah. Sets are. Stone blocks that were used to pave most of the main roads in the big cities. Plymouth was full of granite sets, mm. cobbled streets, in other words. Yeah. Um, to make it easier for the masons who chiselled them out, they raised a couple of feet above the ground a bench, basically, which was called a banker. So they would kneel in front of the banker, chip, 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 yeah. and chip away at their sets. Yes, set right. makers bankers very good yeah amazing isn't it yeah. and you can actually find near Sweltor quarry the few remaining corbels for london bridge which oh, were carved oh. but not needed for the bridge oh, right. and they're still there beautifully carved lovely huge corbels oh, interesting yet another of the many many uses of dartmoor granite the scottish sheepfold that's another one What's that? Well, a Scotsman came down to breed black-faced sheep on Dartmoor, thinking they would thrive. Right. For some reason, he didn't. But instead of just putting up a wooden palisade, he built this massive sheepfold with huge uprights and horizontal blocks of granite. Hmm. Put a lot um, of effort in. Put a huge amount of didn't effort help. in. Didn't help at all. Didn't catch on. So, obscurely, typical Dartmoor... Yeah. Somebody else came along and said, I know what I can do with this. I can use it as a starch factory. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, that didn't catch on either. So it's still known as the Scottish Sheepfold <laughs> or Starch Factory. Yeah. Mm. Um, and just before we go, you said five minutes we had. Have you had yeah. Oh, no, five yeah. minutes. Is, yeah, you can, you, can, you can give me one more. <laughs> uh, let's give you one more. Oh, and I said we were going to talk about Bowman's Nose again, didn't we? Yeah. But let me tell you about a really, a re relatively recent um, 
naming of something perfectly ordinary on Dartmoor. Okay. Um, I think we may well have driven past it not that long ago. As you drive into Tavistock, on the left, there's quite a drop where um, you can look across to Tavy Cleave and Wheel Betsy yeah. Mine. There's a whole row of granite posts mm, along by yes, the road. Yeah. Um, they're simply to stop people driving off. Right, okay. But they have become known as Annie Pinkham's men. <laughs> right. And apparently there was an old woman who used to walk into Tavistock every day and uh, people would say, oh, hello, Annie, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. I've been talking to my men as I've been coming along. Obviously exchanging views with these granite posts, <laughs> which became known That's weird. as Annie Pinkham's men. Mm. And we'll just have one final story. Go on. I think, go back to Barman's Nose. Yes. The rock idol on the eastern part of the moor near Manhattan. Well, Bowerman, apparently, it's nothing to do with Vowdermain, the big stone. There was apparently, according to this legend, a chap called Bowerman. Okay. Um, he was an archer. So Bowman, you see what, gotcha. see what they were yes. doing there? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 11th century fellow, and he was out hunting on the moors one day, as they do with his pack of hounds. And unfortunately, in the course of his hunt, he disturbed a coven of witches, and he upset Ooh. their cauldron. Oh, boy. Which upset them. No end. So what did the witch do? And we've heard this story before. One of the witches turned herself into a hare. (laughs) Yeah. So come on, Bowman, chase me, chase (laughs) me. So off he went. What did she do? She led him into a deep mire. Mm. And when he'd sunk down almost his whole body, she turned him into stone, just like that. And the stone now exists as Bowman's nose. And the nearby hound Tor, well, that was his pack of hounds, <laughs> which she'd also turned into stone. But come on, that's right on the side of a very, very steep, rocky hillside. Mm. There's no mire anywhere near. Magic. Magic or myth. <laughs> well, that is the power of those moors and the crazy people, Wiccan, Druid, or uh, <laughs> wizards, or, vampires or, alike. Or set makers. <laughs> exactly. Well, that is more excellent stories from Dartmoor, big guy. Thank you very, very much indeed. Well, it was great telling them. And uh, do we believe them or not? Maybe that's not important. No. Uh, I don't think... Oh, you can you can take that for yourself. Yeah. And uh, and <laughs> take what you want from it. But it was very interesting, the uh, stories about the stones mm. today. Obviously a key part of Dartmoor. Absolutely. So I think one thing that I was thinking there, just as we're finishing up, is that we've mentioned over the course of the various different shows some quite interesting places. And maybe one thing that we might want to do at some point is to uh, catalogue some of those places for our listeners so we can give them a sort of tourist guide to the weird and strange of Dartmoor, so people, when they're up there on those moors, mm. can go check out some of these places. We're talking That's about. an interesting thought, yeah. Why not? Well, I think that brings us to a close of another episode. Thank you very much, Big Guy. It's been a great pleasure. Right, and we will catch you next time on Myths of the Moor.